Our blessed God, we thank you for uh, the opportunity to look into your word, and I pray that you would use my mind and my tongue to uh, carefully understand and articulate uh, the truths of Scripture in such a way that it is compelling that we live under the authority of what you have revealed to us and that we submit our um, um, our, our, our sometimes um, immature or um, confused understanding to the clear testimony of Scripture. We thank you for this time and your Holy Spirit's work. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Um, the noted theologian Woody Allen said, How to make God laugh, colon. Tell him your future plans. Now, I don't know what he meant by that. But it's a pretty good understanding of the truth of God's sovereignty. How to make God laugh. Tell him your future plans as if you are in control of all you do. Are you? Are you not? Listen to Spurgeon. He said, No doctrine in the whole word of God has more excited the hatred of mankind than the truth of the absolute sovereignty of God. The fact that the Lord reigneth is indisputable. It is this fact that arouses the utmost opposition in the unrenewed human J.C. Ryle, my, my favorite Anglican bishop, good reformed man, said this, of all the doctrines of the Bible, none is so offensive to human nature as the doctrine of God's sovereignty. We live in an age where there is a lack of balance between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Both doctrines are vitally important and evidenced in Scripture. But in our day, the doctrine of man's responsibility is so grossly overblown that God's sovereignty is hidden, uh, thrown under a mat, not discussed adequately enough. So at the risk of skewing the truth of Scripture and overemphasizing God's sovereignty, particularly as it comes to salvation, I'm going to overemphasize God's sovereignty. But I do want to hold them in balance. But you will probably notice in our discussion that 
there is a heavy emphasis of God's sovereignty when it comes to salvation. Now, if, if you have your, your, your Bibles, uh, I want you to turn with me to uh, uh, the, uh, the epistle from Jude. Jesus' half-brother, as he sat down to write this letter, says this in verse 3, Jude 3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt it necessary to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Jude really wanted to. This was his purposed intention. He really wanted to talk about our common salvation. But there were other things that were pressing on him, namely some false teaching, that he had to deal with that, and he wasn't able to deal with what he sat down to write about. We have the privileged opportunity to sit down and talk about what he planned to write about. So I want to talk about this common salvation that we, uh, that we have and that we, we, we enjoy. Um, the, the unsaved man um, doesn't affirm God's sovereignty. They may affirm the laws of nature, but when it comes to God being in control of things, there is a great reticence and a, and a big backing up and saying, wait, 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 wait a minute. And even among those that are in churches, there is a reticence to affirm what the Bible clearly teaches and we're going to look at this morning. God is in control of all things, including our salvation. Now, we don't have to be alarmed when we hear of wars and rumors of wars. We don't have to be alarmed when we, when we understand that um, Satan is the god of this world. Right? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He's not the one that's in charge. God is the one who is in charge at all times. Always is. Question, can man, can Satan, thwart the purposes of God? Some would think, yeah, he can. And those that would argue against God being sovereign, even in our salvation, they would find themselves on that side of that question saying, yes, Man can thwart the plans and purposes of God. All right, let's, let's hold this, this, uh, this discussion about God's sovereignty in balance, talking about man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. Um, but there will be an emphasis on his sovereign working. Let's, let's, let's defi- define our terms first, shall we? What, what does sovereignty mean. Uh, we, can, we can relate sovereignty to the person of God, to the purposes of God, to the power of God, 
And in each of these uh, uh, aspects, each of these trails that we might travel down to define his sovereignty, we would be saying that God is the ruler, God is the master, God is the supreme one, he is in a class completely by himself. There is no other. I put a number of uh, passages in your notes. Uh, you can listen or you can keep up with me and, uh, and chase down in your Bibles. You, you know, the benefit, let me, let me pause here for just a second. The benefit of you having your Bible, and I'm so pleased that you all bring your Bibles, the benefit of that, and, and actually having one, and not having an electronic one, having a real paper one, the benefit of that is you see with your eyes that particular verse or that paragraph, that chapter, on this particular side of, uh, uh, of the Bible. That is a, a, a visual aid for your mind to, to bring back to memory what it is that you read, and where it is that you read. Electronic versions of the scriptures can be of some help and aid, and particularly when you're traveling or something, you, you, you can't carry something else. Um, but here, when you can bring it with you, bring it with you. All right. Second Chronicles, chapter 29. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. That's sovereignty. Psalm 22. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. 1 Timothy 6. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in inapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. That's sovereignty. That's God being large and in charge in all things. There's your blanks. God is large and in charge in all things. Deuteronomy chapter 4. The Lord, he is God. There is no other besides him. The Lord, he is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other 2 Kings chapter 19, O Lord, the God of Israel, who art enthroned above the cherubims, you are the God, God alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. 1 Corinthians 8, for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. Psalm 33, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Hebrews 11, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen 
was not made out of things which are visible. So creation itself is an expression of his sovereignty. He spoke and it came into being out of things that were not. He called them into existence. Revelation chapter 4. Worthy are you, O Lord, and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. The governments of man exist because of God's sovereignty. He sovereignly calls them into existence. Now, God uses secondary means. But it doesn't mean that the people of the United States, for example, or the Electoral College, if you want to go be that specific, um, elect a president, the president of this country. Yes, we do that. But God is the one who calls governments into existence and calls kings and pharaohs and emperors into existence to rule in their given countries. Psalm 103. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Proverbs chapter 21. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. To declare that God's plans and God's purposes can be thwarted by man is to dethrone God and dishonor God and disavow God's word. To declare that man determines his own, entity, or his own destiny is to strip God of his omnipotence as the sovereign. The potter has the right to do whatever he wishes with the clay. Yes? Uh, American theologian um, Lorraine Bettner. If you've, if you've not um, ever heard of him or read any of his stuff, um, you can go to monergism.com and download for free um, some of his works. His, his classic um, that was my introduction to Reformed theology decades ago, uh, uh, the, uh, the Doctrine of Predestination, is a classic. I highly recommend it. He says this in a different work. God created this world in which we find ourselves. He owns it. And he is running it according to his own sovereign good pleasure. God has lost none of his power and it is highly dishonoring to him to suppose that he is struggling along with the human race, doing the best he can to persuade men to do right, but unable to accomplish his eternal, unchangeable, holy, wise, and sovereign purpose. Any system which teaches that the serious intentions of God can in some system... Uh, can, can in some cases be defeated 
And that man, who is not only a creature, but a sinful creature, can exercise veto power over the plans of Almighty God, is in striking contrast to the biblical idea of his immeasurable exaltation by which he is removed from all weaknesses of humanity. To, to assume that his plan fails and that he strives to no effect is to reduce him to the level of his creatures and make him no God at all. God is the one who is large and in charge in all things. All things. I put um, this statement from the Westminster Catech, um, uh, Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, in your in your notes, and um, I'd like I'd like to, to to look at this as well as a, another statement in uh, in the Catechism, in the Confession rather. Let me let me read it, and then we'll then we'll look at some of the verses that are included here, um, which the the authors did not include. They didn't include the scripture references. That's others inserting that. God from eternity did, by the most wise and holy counsel of his will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so, as thereby neither is God the author of sin nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. Let's go back and look at this. God from all eternity. This is, a, this is an expression of who God is. He's always been this way. Never anything less. From all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his will, freely, unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Look in your uh, copy of the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1 is a great study for us to, to, to consider the uh, amazing work of God in, uh, in our salvation. Verse, verse 11 says that according to his purpose, he works all things after the counsel of his will. All things. Everything is under his command. The... Um, Confession continues. He, he is over all things. He's the one who is large and in charge. But he is not the author of sin. God is the sovereign one. However, we cannot charge God with being the one who is the author of sin. Well, scripture says very, very plainly, another one of Jesus' half-brothers, James, writes in the first chapter of his epistle, uh, verse, verse 13, 
Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. God is not the author of sin. He doesn't lead people into sin. He doesn't tempt people. So, so, so is God, um, is he limited in his sovereignty? He didn't create evil. Well, he allows it to take place. And he uses it to accomplish his purpose. Um, look at the, not the next phrase, we'll come back to that, but the phrase after that. Liberty and contingency of second causes is not taken away, meaning that God will use evil. He will use the choices of sinful man to accomplish his purposes. To say that God is sovereign doesn't mean that he does not use secondary means like that to, to, to do what he purposes to do. Uh, it also says in the in the uh, in the confession, uh, violence is not offered to the will of the creatures. There there is a, um, a far far too much emphasis on the uh, free will of man. And we, we will in the in the course of our of our study look at at its limitations and and what we have. Nobody's going to agree, or 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 rather disagree. Uh, that man is limited in a number of ways. I might have the deepest longing and the most sincere intentions to fly without the aid of, of, uh, of, of an airplane. Um, and, and, but no matter how sincere my desires are or how careful my plans are, I am not going to fly. And neither are you. It's one of the limitations that we all experience and we live with. Are we not ex uh, limited in other ways as well? I certainly enjoy swimming, uh, but there is no way that I can swim as fast as a dolphin or as fast as a, a penguin. Oh, they're so much smaller than I am. I'm so much bigger, but I will never be able to swim fast like they swim. I, I have a limitation there. Spiritually, I have a limitation as well. Though God is sovereign, he is not violating the will of the creature given the limitations that the creature has. Here's another uh, statement in the confession that I did not put in your notes from section 5. God, the great creator of all things, doth upheld, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence. According to his infallible foreknowledge, and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. 
Now with regard to salvation. We haven't said anything about salvation really, but we, we have to set the tone. We have to begin at the very beginning. And God's sovereignty is at the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God. It all starts with him, even our salvation. Um, now, now, when it comes to salvation, there are, are, uh, there are those um, who would affirm that God is sovereign, but his sovereignty ends right here. His sovereignty ends where my will begins. Those who would affirm that um, are advocating for God light. It's, it's, it's like saying um, God is mostly sovereign. Like saying God, Jesus was mostly dead on the cross. No, Jesus was fully dead and uh, so God is fully sovereign. Even in our salvation. Um, will, 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 we, will we submit ourselves to what the scripture teaches regarding God's control in every area of life? First sermon I ever preached, I was uh, 16 years of age, almost 17. And my text was from uh, the, uh, the book of Isaiah. Chapter 55. I've only listened to that sermon, re-listened to it. My, da- my dad had an old cassette player, you know, the, the, the kind that was in a bit, a bit of a big box like that. He set it on his, on his lap and, and uh, recorded it. It was absolutely horrible recording. It was, it was the, the, the quality of the recording la- <laughs> matched the quality of the sermon. Um, but uh, uh, these these two verses are are uh, absolutely key to um, the foundation that we're trying to establish for our discussion of of uh, the, our common salvation. Um, Isaiah chapter fifty five verse eight: For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my. Are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Will we submit ourselves to the scriptures and what they declare regarding our salvation? 